Money talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. I'm Kat. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with with tax tax benefits. We're here to sound off about write-offs. To get wise about wealth building. And take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax, so obviously this is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your tax professional. In each episode, we'll share real talk about money with our personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. Did the lawyers make you say that, Kat? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk, call your financial professional later, because it's time to talk tax, friends. Welcome, listeners, to this week's episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. Hello, my good friends, Lauren and Kat. Hope you both are doing well today. Hey, Daniel. Hi, Kat. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Lauren. Today's episode is focused on big lifestyles. And I'm going to do something a little different this week. You all have asked me from time to time, when you get to play us a little tune, you get to sing us a little song. And today's pop culture reference is going to require that guitar on the wall. Hang on one second. Oh, I'm so here for this. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Name that tune, friends. More money, more problems. More money, more problems. So proud of you, Daniel. (laughs) Right. I was thinking they should have done an acoustic sensitive guy version of that song, but I think the notorious B.I.G. and P. Diddy uh, maybe don't have a history of writing acoustic ballads. So I thought about that when it came to big lifestyles because I was excited about Tiger Woods coming back into the Masters this year. And they did this chronicle in the New York Times about, you know, when Tiger first won the Masters 20 years ago, 25 years ago, whatever it was. He was 20 years old, 21 years old. And it was crazy. And P. Diddy, B.I.G., they they wanted Tiger to come in to make a video for Mo Money, Mo Problems. And they were talking to him about how, hey, friend, you're about to catapult into the stratosphere uh, be careful because more money causes more problems. And so uh, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on does more money bring more problems as our friends B.I.G. and P. Diddy say? Oh, Daniel, bless her heart. I do have to share with you the artist formerly known as P. Diddy now generally just goes by Diddy. <laughs> I thought it was Puffy. Uh, it's not Puffy. Uh, <laughs> he, it's, it's transformed over the years. There's been a... <laughs> All right. All right. And I would say that most people don't call him Notorious B.I.G., though that is official. You may he rest in peace. Biggie it's just, Smalls? just Biggie, I think is okay. Biggie. Yeah. Biggie. All right. Well, I'm learning. I'm learning. Every week I'm learning. But I, but I would say more money, more problems, right? I just feel like when I see people in, you know, public life and they have all kinds of money just, you know, you know, dripping off of them. It just seems like life gets really complex and they often, you know, find themselves in scandals or, you know, um, having their lives publicly broadcast and scrutinized. And it just seems like Diddy and Biggie were onto something when they wrote this. I also think the problems really change, right? Um, I've been broke (laughs) 
And I think it's a different set of problems when you're shifting out of that space, right? I think there's a space where maybe you're not sure how to pay your rent. You're not sure how to keep your lights on. If something goes wrong with your car, you're in debt. If something goes wrong with your health, right? It's a problem because you don't have the financial cushion to afford healthcare for yourself or your loved ones, right? So I think there's one set of problems and I think the problems tend to change as you climb the ladder. And that's true in a lot of facets of life. Well, as we think about numerous facets of life that uh, relate to having lots of money, I would like to transition to my good friend, Lauren, to hear what you've got to say about does more money bring you more problems or how do we make more money give us fewer problems? What do you got this week, Lauren? So this week, I've been thinking a lot about how in the past, say, 10, 20 years, our access to other people's lives has increased so dramatically, right? From the days of lifestyles of the rich and famous to cribs to real housewives, the Kardashians, and now social media, we have more visibility into how other people live, including the super wealthy than ever before. And I think part of that really means that this idea of keeping up with the Joneses has really expanded so much because we see so much of how the really super rich are living and it increases our desire to live the same way in a lot of cases or to have the access to our own PJs and private jets and luxury vacations in the Maldives and red bottom shoes that cost a thousand a pop, right? Things you might not have even realized existed 35 years ago, if you weren't in this group of people who can afford and really indulge in these things. And part of what I think a lot about lately is instead of keeping up with the Joneses, can we consider what it is that we're really jonesing for, right? I think in a lot of cases, there's this feeling like once I get enough money, once I go on this dream vacation, once I buy the shiny car, once I have my new shoes, I'll be happy then. And for most people, we have a pretty average baseline of happiness and we may get the thing or achieve the thing and then go back to the baseline and it doesn't really make us happy long-term. And I think it's so important to really think deeply about what it is that really does bring us joy and how can we organize our own lives and our budgets to allow for more of those things that really do make us happy. There's an interesting book called Happy Money by Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton that's an evidence-based look at does money actually bring you happiness? And you've probably heard it where more money above a certain threshold, uh, and and it's commonly referenced at 75,000, and I think that you know fluctuates somewhat depending on where you live. But above a certain threshold, getting more money does not increase your moment-by-moment moment happiness. And the book talks about five ways that money does increase your happiness. If you buy experiences, I think a lot of people have have heard about that data. You look back on those experiences and you get happiness as you recollect your you know vacation or your, I don't know, Ferris wheel ride, whatever it was that experience is. Make the things that you buy a treat. Like sushi every night is no longer a treat if you have it every single night. And if you buy something that gives you time back, so somebody to clean your house or do your yard work, that does make you happier. If you pay now and consume later, where you separate the pain from consumption, pay early, consume later, that increases your happiness and then also investing in others. And so I think that hamster wheel, hamster, bro, you're never going to get there. There's nothing to get to. But I think if you can, if you can look at some of the research on, on happiness and especially, you know, that dopaminergic happiness, um, it's not necessarily achieved from getting those things, but there are smart ways to spend your money that can increase your happiness. And those are some of them. 
Daniel, I love that you brought up the idea of money can get you certain happinesses. And I like to think of it as like regular luxuries, if you will. So one thing that has now become a luxury in my life that I will say is the ability to order groceries, right? It used to be a task that had to do every week and I would spend hours on sitting in the traffic, coming back. And to me, a small luxury, if you will, is paying the monthly subscription of $10 and maybe a little bit even an upcharge on certain items. But the joy that I get back from that $10 is great, right? So I think there's a balance that you also shouldn't deprive yourself, right, of every luxury. Like you don't have to be uber rich to enjoy some of the luxuries that life has. Paying someone to clean your house, right? That might be the equivalent of maybe going out to dinner, but it might be worth the luxury of, okay, maybe missing the dinner that week. There's a real beauty to the balancing of needs and wants at almost every income level that it doesn't have to be a pair of red bottoms to make you happy. And I think the problem is if you read statistics, and I I read one before this episode because it really interests me, roughly 70% of lottery winners will go broke within a couple years and are more likely to declare bankruptcy within three to five years, right? So that's mind-blowing. And I know that it sounds unbelievable, but I do know in the previous practice that I was working for, Two folks who were clients that became lottery winners, and within years, they were those statistics. They had nothing to show for it because they weren't really seeking the advice that the firm was giving them. They were kind of recklessly spending their money. And I don't want to say recklessly because they probably thought they were doing the right thing or the nice thing, right? So giving money to a friend, a relative. But what folks fail to realize is that there are laws around giving gifts. So for 2022, the annual gift tax exemption is up to $16,000 per individual. So you can give someone up to $16,000, to put it simply, without having to get the IRS all involved. So Kat, are you saying that if you win the lottery and give me $20,000, you're on the hook to pay taxes on that $20,000 because it's over that 16000 limit? Lauren, to better explain this gift tax exemption, a lot of times when you are buying a home, if you need help from a relative or a friend even is going to give you the money to help you get the rest of the costs you need to secure your mortgage, for example, all the money needs to be sourced. So you can't just say that, oh, I magically have $20,000 in my bank account. It will likely say like, oh, your parent, let's say, is going to gift you $20,000. Now the parent that's giving it to you is going to have to pay tax on that because they've now exceeded the limit of $16,000 for the year for one individual. So they're allowed to give multiple people up to $16,000, but once they've given one person a gift of more than $16,000, it puts them on the hook for some federal tax liability. There is a lifetime gift limit that you can give. And that number fluctuates just like the $16,000 used to be $15,000. So the lifetime limit of gifts right now is 12.06 million. And that's over the lifetime of the person 
giving the gifts. So just like how you would think of your income tax return, you would have a gift tax return that you would have to fill out saying who you gave the money to, how much, and over that 16,000 spills into, if you will think of it as a cup, you can give each person up to a $16,000 cup. Now, once you've given them more than that $16,000 cup, it starts applying towards that lifetime limit of 12 million that you have. That can easily rack up when you're gifting people things that are like really high ticket price. Like now I'm not talking if you're giving to charitable organizations, those don't count, but if you're gifting to an individual, right? And then the lifetime gift limit, is that for you, the giver? Like you can only give up to 12 million in your life or is that for everyone you're gifting to? No, that's for you, the gifter. So each gifter has this lifetime and it's not a limit. You could give more than that, but that's the part that's going to have tax exemption benefits, if you will, up to that amount. So if you're married filing jointly, then you and your partner can share that and it essentially doubles. So instead of giving 16,000, you could give 32,000 amongst you too. It might be something that most folks who are not coming into lottery winnings will experience. Maybe if they were inheriting some money also, like the gift and estate tax return are fairly similar. Does this apply to like sugar babies and sugar daddies too? So in essence, yes, because you're you're not married now between husband and wife or between spouse, two spouses, there's no gift tax around that. Like you can give your spouse however much money you can gift them back and forth. But yes, if your sugar baby and your sugar daddy is giving you these large gifts, then it would be considered a gift, right? I was trying to figure that out. Yeah, I was like, I know what a sugar daddy is. Is that a wealthy baby who's giving money to people? <laughs> no. It is the recipient, the recipient. Of, the, of the money. I got it. I got it. All right, Kat, I'm so ready to get into the questions, not just around how these wealthy people live their lives, but I'd like to know about how some of these wealthy people live their financial lives. And that's what we've got our Q&A for this week. You ready to A those cues for us? Let's take it away. All right. So our listeners would like to know, what do the super rich do with their excess cash? Savings account, investing, vending machines. What do you think? I will say a lot of super rich. So we're thinking like affluent, more likely famous, maybe names we know are giving to charities and some of them their own charity foundations. So think of the Bill Gates Foundation. You know, it's a way that he's charitable, but it's also giving his name a little bit more recognition outside of what we know him for. And it also has tax benefits that they get to write off these contributions in the same way, right? So doing something good, but also helping themselves. A lot of super rich own yachts or really big boats, and they can actually classify that as a second home. So they get the benefits of financing that boat and writing off the interest, like a mortgage interest, as long as the boat meets certain requirements, right? So if it has a bed, kitchen, and a bathroom, it can be considered a second home. So if you wanted a yacht, why not make it worth it that you can write off the interest, right? The other thing I've actually heard about, which I think is really cool, there's there's kind of this pressure to be benevolent. And you see a lot of billionaires pledging to give all their money away. And I think it was 
Um, I think maybe Warren Buffett was one of the first people who did who did that. And the interesting thing about it is when you have wealth and you do want to donate to charities or you want to give it away, how do you do it in a way that's responsible? How do you do it in a way that you know people are not just trying to bilk you for that money? And it's actually hard to give away money in a way that you know it's being used in a way that is beneficial to people who really need it, which is kind of wild. I think it's so funny you mentioned Warren Buffett because he famously, I think, drives an older car, lives in the house he lived in for years and doesn't really wear his wealth or drive it. And I think that's such an interesting approach. It's very millionaire next door where they drive an old car. And you may not even realize they're wealthy because they're not, it's not conspicuous wealth. Yes. Uh, last question. Do the super rich buy new cars that depreciate off the lot? Dash, don't all cars depreciate quickly off the lot? Typically, as soon as you drive the car off the lot, it starts depreciating in value, right? I would say that the super rich are finding ways to buy these vehicles that also play into their best interest tax-wise, right? So if a car is over 6,000 pounds or more, and the person who is super rich has a business, let's say, they can use what's called an election 179. And basically depreciate the whole purchase price of that vehicle. So interestingly enough, when that started, people were thinking 6,000 pound cars, like, oh, large pickup trucks or Hummers, um, F-150s were like some of the trucks that people thought of, like real super heavy duty vehicles. And actually now automakers are getting, you know, savvy with the way that they're making these vehicles so that they fit into those categories uh, you know, maybe even making some slight tweaks, like making it a diesel version, which adds enough weight to it to push it in that category. But then it becomes a, a really good like write-off essentially for a business use. And I do want to say Kat used the term depreciate. And in financial term, that means to go down in value. Whereas on the other hand, appreciate in financial terms means to go up in value. So if you drive a new car off the lot, it depreciates immediately, immediately goes down in value because it's done a used car. Whereas say if you buy a house in a really hot neighborhood, it may appreciate or go up in value over time. One thing I find so interesting about this conversation, honestly, is in some ways, you can think of money as a game. And the super wealthy essentially have more resources and tools available to them to help them play at a very different level, right? So if you're in a place where you're trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents, a lot of these resources and tools and loopholes aren't even really available to you. But then as you grow your income, you grow your personal wealth, it's really interesting to look into new ways to explore how can you save money? How can you invest it? What are the loopholes in the tax system, for example, that will allow you to save money at tax time? And there's all kinds of really interesting ways to do that. And as you have more resources available to you, the more you're able to take advantage of some of these opportunities. And another thing that's really interesting too, I find often one of my friends is an entrepreneur and he essentially coaches other entrepreneurs to grow six, seven figure businesses. And he always says the conversation is different when you sit with winners. And I also find the conversation is very different when you sit with people who are wealthy. Often they are open to a certain degree to talking about what they're doing with their money, how they're investing it, 
how they're making it grow. They're often very open to giving advice. And I find that people who are really struggling financially tend to be in so much shame about it that they're not really open about it. And I think in a lot of cases, we tend to suffer in silence. And as you can open up a little bit, you can really find communities of support to really help you where you are, give you advice and encouragement wherever you are, and then also potentially give you advice to help you get to where you want to go. All right, everybody. Thank you, listeners. We're so grateful you tuned in this week. Thank you, as always, Kat and Lauren, for your levity, for your advice, and for your companionship for my favorite half an hour of the week. Be sure to subscribe on anywhere you get your podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye, Lauren. Bye, Kat. Bye, all. Bye, Daniel. Bye, Lauren. Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast produced by Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall, Katharina Rickmans, and Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer, and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizzieri is our producer, Catherine Devine is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound engineer. Concept development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pashesnik, and Isabel Moncloa Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. 